Hello and welcome back to my Life Be Like podcast where I talk to people across the spectrum of roles and responsibilities, jobs and careers. It's been a while since I've been able to record one of these episodes and I'm really excited to get back into it. Um, I do very much appreciate that people have been listening to all the episodes that I have uploaded previously. Still a lot of strong national and international support. So thank you to all the listeners. Um, and looking forward to providing more content to the people who have been supporting this podcast. So um, thank you very much. Before we jump into our next guest, who is Nav Iyengar. Um, Nav and I went to Loyola together. We had at least a couple of classes. This was uh, way back when, uh, seemingly so it feels like forever ago, but uh, not terribly long ago, and also not just yesterday. So, Nav Younger, welcome to My Life Be Like. Well, thanks, Josh, and thank you for having me. Yeah, it was a long time ago. Geez, that was what, 2008, 2009? Yes, yes, 2008, 2009. A little bit there. For real, for real. <laughs> a decade has already somehow gone by uh, now, which, which is crazy. So, uh, first of all, thank you very much for joining the podcast. Um, if we could start with a little bit of a background about who you are, where you live, where you're from, and then uh, we'll jump right in. Absolutely. Well, uh, thank you again for having me uh, on the podcast. I really appreciate you know um, giving me the opportunity to tell a little bit about myself to your audience, and hopefully you guys uh, get a little something out of that. You know, for me personally, I <clears throat> moved to the United States when I was uh, about four and a half years old. Uh, my father was completing his graduate degree at uh, Michigan State University. And prior to that, my mother and I had been living in India because he lived in a dorm room and there wasn't a whole lot of space for, you know, a family uh, at that point. And w when he was nearing completion, uh, he got us to come out and immigrate. We lived in East Lansing, Michigan. So the first place I lived in America was on a college campus, um, which tells you a little bit, uh, gives you a little insight into how my personality develops. <laughs> you know, moving as an immigrant to the United States, I didn't know English. Um, you know, I, I heard it spoken, but I always lived at home. And as you know, in India, we have... Um, typically you live with your grandparents and there's lots of aunts and uncles. So you speak a lot of native languages at your house. So learning English was one of the first kind of hurdles that I had to get past. Uh, luckily there was a lot of good content like the Lion King, Home Alone, Jurassic Park, uh, that I actually learned English by watching those movies repeatedly. Incredible. Um, <laughs> yeah. Incredible. So I can tell you almost every single line of those movies just because that's how, you know, well, at, we least, at least they're good. At least they're good movies to uh, be able to know line by line. Absolutely, absolutely. That's good. Um, from there, you know, uh, I quickly kind of adapted to uh, the United States and really began to see myself as an American quite early on, uh, um, actually. And we moved to small town Wisconsin. We moved to a little town called Wisconsin Rapids, Wisconsin, which is north central Wisconsin. Most people have never heard of it. A town of about twenty five thousand people. So uh, went from a college campus with you know tons of international folks and 
lots of different types of cultures to a very homogenous place, uh, you know, where I kind of stood out. But in terms of that, you know, I think it really gave me a lot of insight into how to relate to people that were very different than me, you know, just aesthetically or, you know, in uh, all those kind of superficial qualities, but also, you know, in a mentality of it, it's a different culture. And what I learned is the more you kind of bridge those gaps between people and try to find similarities, that really makes for, you know, just an extended community where everybody kind of gets to share in the benefits of all of the values that all these different types of cultures bring. So growing up in Wisconsin, a lot of people have asked me, you know, wasn't that difficult? You know, yeah, you had those issues, you know, up and down things popped up, but nothing was ever too terrible. It was a very kind of close knit community. And we all saw ourselves as part of that small town. Um, from there, uh, you know, everybody's parents kind of worked at the mill. So it was a very neighborly type feel. You knew everybody in town, nobody locked their doors. Uh, it was just one of those places really enjoyed growing up there and, uh, moved to the neighboring town when I was in high school, um, got myself into debate, which was originally how I guess I started my career. Um, and what I do now is basically talk for a living in terms of change management and, that's where I realized where, you know, my passions and skills laid in convincing other people how to do things. Um, immediately that got me thinking towards a law career um, mm -hmm. and applied to colleges all over. Actually wasn't even going to go to Loyola. Uh, yeah. I was about to go to St. Norbert up in Green Bay that offered me a scholarship. Um, and then as well as Hillsdale College out in Michigan. But uh, I just, as soon as I stepped foot on that Lakeshore campus, I fell in love with it and <laughs> decided then and there that I was going to Loyola in the big city of Chicago. Yeah, that sounds um, good. So let's, let me pause you for one second there now. So let's, uh, real quick, before you got to high school, when you were 11, 12, 13 years old, let's say, yep. what, is, what was it that you were thinking about being when you grew up? What was the dream at that point? That point, you know, most uh, immigrant families, especially Indian ones, you have kind of three choices, right? Yes. Engineer, doctor, or some something in the uh, uh -huh. medical field. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. I was obviously one very much wanted to be a doctor at that mm -hmm. point. At least that's what I told people. Um, sure. Didn't really knew what all went into it, but it was that kind of prestige that you get. And I liked science and I was good at school, so it kind of made a natural sense for me to gravitate towards that. It was really when I joined debate that uh, I completely decided against the sciences and the medical career and went more into business and legal and those types of uh, avenues. Sure. Uh, which makes a lot of sense. And so what you're saying, basically, initially, of course, a lot of that was being driven by your parents and your family. And then Absolutely. as you got more interested in or involved in things like debate, then the conversation started to shift, at least in your own mind, away from medicine towards a legal career, potentially. Absolutely. I think it's more had to do with me recognizing where my strengths lay and where the passions to develop strengths kind of really lay um, within that. And it was quite early on that I noticed that I was able to make friends with people, convince people, persuade, um, lay out arguments. Uh, and so it for me, I wasn't as much, uh, I liked science. I still like science. I love to read, you know, all those types of journals and things like that at a very cursory level, but it's not something I found myself that saying, you know, I can't not be a doctor mm -hmm. and be happy. Mm -hmm. Um, 
so for me, it was really more, am I just going after it for the prestige of the medical, uh, you know, kind of field? And that's when I decided, yeah, you kind of are. And that's not really going to be good long-term. Uh, I didn't think I would be, I, would, I thought it'd be much happier pursuing the legal finance path. Sure. Incredible. So you step on Lakeshore campus, anybody who's been there knows how beautiful yeah. it is, especially on a bright, sunny day. Um, it can, can be pretty miserable uh, in January and February. <laughs> they, they don't tell you about that, but you get to Loyola. What is the plan? Is the plan pre-law? Is that the expectation? Is it political science? What are you thinking about doing? Yeah, I was thinking, um, you know, I was going to go to law school. I had made up my mind in 2008 that law school was the goal. But Mm -hmm. uh, I'd seen a lot of people with political science degrees, um, you know, have a tough time finding something in between the years when they went from college to law school. Um, I had a couple of older friends who were going through that process. And they tell me, you know, don't go get a political science degree. What most of these law schools want to know now is that, you know, business. So go get a business degree and something hardcore like finance or accounting, you know, something to show um, that you you could think logically and you have like the uh, it's not a STEM background, but it's almost a STEM background in the terms sure. of mathematics that you would have to use. Um, and so at that point, I decided, all right, I like finance. You know, I always was interested in investing in the stock market, took a bunch of economics courses in high school um, and for me, that just seemed like the natural progression of, okay, I'm going to go do contract law. You know, I want to be a Wall Street lawyer. You know, those those Wolf of Wall Street dreams come to you, especially when you go to a school like Loyola and you're standing yeah, yeah. downtown next to the Bentley store and you're like, yeah, I can do that. You know, <laughs> we're here, right? And so for me, I think that's what I focused on at that time between the ages of tw- like 18 and 22 was, oh, how do I get degrees that are going to make me the most money mm. at that point? Um, right. Which is where you ended up, which is excellent. <laughs> right. Which is excellent. Um, in a sense. And, uh, you know, with for me, it was really, I, I came out of Loyola with a finance degree and um, with that finance degree, I went to work for a currency trading firm. It was a Swiss firm that did all sorts of kind of currency trading for corporations when they had to make payments. Let's say you make, you know, um, a cars in America and you have to buy your wheels from Japan. Well, you need to pay the Japanese people in Japanese yen. So we translated that currency and set up all sorts of risk parameters, things like that for mid-market companies. Interesting. Uh, really interesting job. You know, I thought it was, it, it, I liked doing it because I was more on the account side. So I naturally gravitated more towards like the sales, account management. Um, we still did the hardcore financials, but we weren't, we were much more focused on making sure that the client was happy, not necessarily mm. executing on like backend paperwork. Uh, really liked that job. Um, you know, it was, it was cool for a while, but then it just started to become... I, I was missing something. I don't know what it was. It just felt like you were going after quota a lot. And sure. for me, uh, while that's a good to always have those types of goals and sales is one of those careers where you have a measuring stick every single day where you can measure yourself against the previous day or you know even the previous minute before. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it wasn't fulfilling what I truly thought I wanted to do. Uh, it wasn't making me happy as like a whole person. Money was great, but... As you you once you start you know actually making money you realize that's not all it is there's a lot sure. of different things that go into a career and balance uh, and so I actually got out of that and uh, there was an opportunity to take severance and 
And I decided to, <clears throat> at that point, go and just try something new, maybe go back into like financial analysis since I had a finance degree. So I took an interview at Robert Half, um, which was a, a recruiting firm, well-known recruiting firm. And within that recruiting firm, they had a couple of open positions for IT permanent placement uh, recruiters, mm -hmm. meaning you'd help companies really find IT staff, like directors of IT, software developers, you know, engineers. And it was interesting for me because it took that sales aspect and account management that I had grown with and moved it into an area that was really starting to develop. This was in probably 2014. So at that point, you know, IT was really starting to pick up. People started getting more apps. And especially in terms of business, um, you just saw the world of work kind of shift from that paper and pencil model to everything's getting digitized, everything's getting automated. You know, you got to learn all these new softwares and things like that. Um, within that, I was able to do uh, a couple of cool placements, work with some great companies that in all different types of fields. And it helped me realize that IT really was going to be that place where, uh, you know, careers are not only going to get exponentially larger in terms of just need, yeah. but at the same time, there's a lot of cool things that are being done, which can actually have like a user impact. Sure. Um, so within that, you know, kind of IT frame and, and I really loved helping people find jobs. Um, yeah. And at the end of the day, despite me making money off that person's quote unquote <laughs> sale, right? It's good for them too. It's, it's a Definitely. great feeling to really help somebody really realize their uh, career dream. Right. So how many years were you at this um, currency trading company before you realized? Yeah, I was, that? I was there for about a year. Okay. So how, how old are you at this point? 24, 23, 24, when you thought that it yes, was... I was uh, I think it was, I was 25 actually. So okay. Yeah, 25. And so what the reason I asked that question is because 25 seemingly now is a, an interesting age for somebody to feel mature enough or not feel, but be mature enough to then look at it, to say, this is not making me happy. Right. You would think that most people at 25 with college loans and all of the things that go with being 25, you would just go try to chase the money at that point and say, right. my happiness be damned. In your situation, it was like, I'm not happy here. I'm, I could potentially make less money somewhere else, but I'll be happier. This is a decision I need to make. Was that a difficult process for you to go through? Or was it just easy as if to say, I know what's going to make me happy. I can sacrifice a little bit of money, but I won't sacrifice my happiness. You know, I feel uh, I, I'm a little bit weird in that shush that in the sense that for me, it, it really comes down to if I if I'm gonna be unhappy in a role, I'm just gonna produce poor work. That's not sure. good for me or the yeah. company, right? Right. So for me, it was if it, it's a mutual parting of the ways, and it's uh, you know amicable and friendly. At the end of the day, corporations are great, wonderful employers, and they do a lot of things. But it's your life and your career, you know, and. At, I don't think any, you, you, when you make the right decisions for yourself and you, you're comfortable with that decision, whether it goes well, whether it doesn't go well, as long as you're comfortable with that, mm. I think that's what's important. Sure. Um, and, you know, it, it's not to say that maybe I was a little bit too 
hasty and jumped. A lot of people have told me that um, throughout multiple places where I've kind of transitioned my careers multiple times. Yeah. Uh, but to me, I don't regret it because I've learned a lot of different things throughout those different roles that I now bring into what I do currently. And uh, it, it's helped me a great deal to understand it from all of those different aspects versus just coming at it from an academic, you know, kind of IT background. For sure. For sure. Well, that's tremendous um, and really great advice for anybody who's listening and considering jumping themselves, whether it's now or in the future. So you, you went to Robert Half, IT recruiting placement. Yep. It's mutually beneficial for everybody who's involved, which is great. How did you then get from there to where you are today? So I went to Robert Half, did, uh, I had a great team there, loved the people I worked with. Uh, you know, we had a great time working and also made an impact within uh, for our clients as well on both sides, the companies and the um, actual candidates themselves. From there, I got um, offered to help start a new uh, practice for another recruiting firm in downtown Chicago. Uh, and so I took one of my Robert Half buddies and we both went over there and helped them start a basically the same thing that Robert Half did for this other corporation. Did pretty well there uh, in terms of moving the company forward and helping them get that off the ground. And at that point, we were, uh, you know, I was really thinking, do I want to stay in recruiting for a longer period? I liked my job, but I didn't feel like I was learning much more throughout my day. One thing I like to have in, in the careers that I pick or try to, you know, at least get a foothold into is to learn something new every day, whether it's technical skill, soft skill. It keeps the kind of, and it may not necessarily be even every day, but it's progressive. There's continuous improvement, if that makes sense. And at a certain point, I feel felt like that career had peaked. I'd learned, you know, as much as I could in terms of recruiting at that point. Um, and so I decided, hey, you know, why not try something new? One of my roommates had done uh, the fi the financial rep representative program at Northwestern Mutual and he had been doing well. And he said, you know, I think this would be a really good career for you. Uh, you might be able to transition a lot of clients that were candidates from your recruiting role. So I said, yeah, you know what, I'll give it a try. They'd been, um, yeah, I've heard a lot of great things about the program. Obviously being a Wisconsin company gave me a good kind of uh, feeling in terms of just them being that old and having been around. They're not like one of those typical kind of fly-by-night organizations. Uh, did the program. Unfortunately, I just didn't have the network <laughs> to make sales. In, uh, and so that was probably the first career that I really didn't do well in terms of sales. And it taught me a lot about myself. You know, um, Basically, you run your own shop right? as a financial advisor. You're responsible for finding your clients, making sure that you do the uh, proper plans for them, making sure that they have the right resources. So it's a lot of work and it's a tremendous amount of effort that needs to go into that. Um, and number number two, on top of that, not only do you have to do all that back-end work, you also got to take care of making sure that you're bringing in clients every day, uh, which is difficult to do as like right. a 28-year-old. You just don't have those professional networks where people are really thinking about those types of Yep. Um, you know, yep. thoughts, although they should be, <laughs> but that's just a, you know, that's a cultural thing that, that's not going to shift quickly. Uh, through that program, I really began to love the culture of the company, what they did for their clients, the impact that they made on real people's lives. You know, people think, all right, financial advising, 
there's a lot of different things that go into that. It's, it's not just for wealthy people. And that's, I think, the thing that I walked away with that really helped me is it's not just a bunch of rich people. They're taking care of people of all types, uh, making sure that they're protected in case things go badly or just helping them plan for a great retirement. So I liked that kind of aspect of the finance, but because I didn't have the network, it was unsustainable for me to live in downtown Chicago with Loyola student loans and Chicago rent and you know trying to make it there. Um, so at that point, I actually went back to an IT recruiting firm that was a boutique firm out in Deerfield, Illinois. Uh, they handled a much, much smaller roster of clients, but at the same time, they wanted to increase their presence in the Midwest. They'd primarily be doing Illinois. Um, at that point, I had also decided I wanted to study for law school, maybe give that a thought going back to law school. Uh, so I took that position, moved up to Milwaukee from Chicago, commuted every day between Milwaukee and Deerfield, which was crazy, <laughs> about 90 minutes each way. But at that time, you know, I loved the company. I, we were making good progress. And then COVID-19 hit. And of course, all hiring pretty much stopped as the world stopped. <laughs> so at that point, um, you know, when you don't have clients walking in the door and hiring people, you really can't make it as a, in a career as a recruiter. Mm. Um, so it was completely you know, unemployed for eight months, had nothing to do. So I decided, all right, let me learn a little bit of IT. Um, I think in terms of actual coding and, you know, actual data analysis. So I spent most of those eight months really honing my skills just through various online free schools, LinkedIn learning, Coursera, those types of uh, places to teach, give myself a base level understanding of how applications, software is developed, sure. as well as increase like my skills in data analysis, yeah. which, you know, from finance, while you learn a lot of Excel, if you don't use it every day. <laughs> you got to relearn it. Definitely. So it took a while, but uh, you know, luckily I was doing nothing else for those eight months and neither was anyone else. So there was no temptation. For, for sure. Well, let me just say, I, I think it's incredible that while most of the world sat at home and rude the fact that they were stuck indoors, that you took it upon yourself to actually benefit yourself and to try to expand your knowledge and progress your career, even though you were unemployed and couldn't go out anywhere, right? Like most of the people of our generation have would have, well, not would have, they did, because we know this now, sat around and didn't do much. And for you to take that time and try to look at it from a perspective of I've got free time, let me improve myself is tremendous. So definitely good job on that. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Um, it's not to say I didn't waste time during that. No, oh, that's okay. There's a that's lot all right. of video games being played, but. <laughs> that's all right. No, you have to, you got to get, I mean, you can't sit around 24 hours a day on on uh, free school right. sites. So <laughs> had you, while you were doing that though, did you consider the law? I mean, you said you considered law school again because yes. it was always of interest. So while you're sitting at home now for however many months, right? Eight months, nine months, uh, you can take some one-off courses, programs, certificates, classes, but was there a consideration at that point that maybe I should just go to law school then? Yeah, actually, I was studying for the LSAT um, as mm -hmm. well, uh, but there were just not that many test dates. It was all right. online. And right. Uh, right. at that point, I still wasn't sure. Also, you know, law school is very expensive. Sure. It could be, is there even going to be school during the pandemic, right? <laughs> at that point, we were wondering, you know, in March and April, is, is are we ever just going to come out of this type of thing? Um, 
And at that point, while I was studying this, these were free courses. And uh, really, it came from my interest in learning more about um, certain platforms that I had been working with. Yeah. Um, I helped a, a buddy, you know, just for some extra money, I helped him uh, do some like just base level consulting in terms of helping with CRMs and helping smaller businesses kind of build those out and how to do automated email marketing, those types of things, um, just on a pro bono basis. And mm -hmm. it got my interest peaked in, okay, what else can I do to develop those skills? And then that kind of led me down the IT rabbit hole of all the different things that you could do. Um, for the longest time for me, there was always that attachment of like IT is okay. That's super hardcore mathematics. And you got to know all these coding languages and you got to memorize a bunch of stuff. Just not for me, which yeah. when I actually started learning these courses, I realized that's not what it is at all. It's actually, uh, you know, much more logic based. And that's something that I do have a skill and passion for is I'd like things to be logically based and then fit into the overall picture. So actually the career, um, track, I kind of fell into it by accident. Uh, and really that came as a result of, uh, I got a call from Milwaukee tool, um, who had asked me to help them, uh, really understand some of the new digital tools that had been implemented that were available, um, as well as use my background in recruiting to drive their kind of talent operations forward. Um, so we implemented, uh, so through that opportunity, I got uh, a great chance to learn from, you know, a best in class type uh, company on how they really utilize tools to increase their productivity on a daily basis. Um, we instituted a lot of cool different types of tools there, including a complete data analytics platform. So I got to really dig my, you know, um, dig into that type of uh, project and understand the scale and level that it takes to migrate data. And it was just simple HR data, but it's, you know, it's a lot. <laughs> and that's what you slowly realize. There's a lot of these background things that are going on uh, in your everyday work. From that project, we actually instituted a, a, another chatbot, which helped um, schedule interviews automatically with candidates. You could find jobs through the careers website. It would help you apply to jobs. It would answer questions about benefits. So working on the back end, I got to work with uh, you know, this AI company and really understand how these chatbots are built, which is something new and different that I probably never would have gotten into, um, you know, even if I was a level of software engineer. Uh, just with, through these kind of projects, I was really able to kind of understand um, what works in terms of development, what users like, and what users really didn't like. Uh, I almost functioned as like a one-man IT admin on that side to administer about seven different cloud technology tools uh, for that talent operations team. Uh, really enjoyed working there, but it was a lot of work. Um, everybody there works extremely hard and I just wasn't ready for that type of work-life balance. And at that point, I really wanted to, you know, think about potentially uh, say, yeah, let's go to law school. It's still on my mind of should I go do that? Because I always had a passion for it as a former debate kid. Um, and I decided, <clears throat> let me go take the LSAT and took the LSAT and did all right. But yeah. nothing I would say, <laughs> I'm going to sure. write you know, scholarships off. And so for me at that point, I was like, all right, what should I do? Uh, you know, I'm really, I, I like this IT stuff. 
that was a lot being an IT admin right away and trying to do all that by myself. I can't do that anymore. That was too much at that level. But maybe there are other roles that uh, you know might fit more into the product strategy side and the user experience side. And I actually found uh, this contract opportunity where it was uh, they looked for an IT business consultant. And uh, really, it was called a product lifecycle consultant at Northwestern Mutual, which was hilarious because that was a company that I'd formerly worked at in the field. Yep. as a field rep and this was their corporate office um so i did the interview and a lot of what my role is is to deploy these types of technology tools to those field reps of which i was a former mm. member um so it kind of nicely just fit kind of hand in glove there. full circle uh, full circle and uh they doubled my salary from what ah, i was making at I like that. so Incredible. you know with that i couldn't say no and yep. uh, the law school was still in the back of my mind but then I started doing the actual role, uh, sure. which we can get into. Yeah, 100%. So let's real quick, before we get into what you're currently doing, right? Because that's your current role in the uh, product lifecycle consultant. So what we're talking about is that in the span of, let's say, a decade, since you graduated mm-hmm. from Loyola, outside of the fact that the pandemic happened and then you were unemployed, I mean... You probably had Nav enough change yourself in your career. From, <laughs> no, I'm just saying, like in terms of yeah. what you did do, wanted to do, considered doing. It's not the case where you left with a finance degree from Loyola and then have been in finance. You do into FP&A. You're not a an accountant. You didn't specialize in some specific. I mean, your career has already been for somebody in their early 30s extremely interesting and uh as a, a load of variety in it compared to people who have a career triple or you know quadruple the length of yours that they've all been in the same you know position forever and you know shash i think um to me i see that as an advantage a lot of people see it as a disadvantage mm. i like the fact that i've done a bunch of different things uh, because i feel like it gives you a unique perspective into and also different ideas on how to approach processes. Uh, I can get into some examples of that, but uh, one other thing I forgot to mention was during the pandemic, I actually sold uh, cars at the local dealership. Love it. Months, Love it. Once the uh, unemployment yes, ran out, right? So yes, sir. You, and that was purely because I just wanted to find out how a car dealership worked and I had sales experience. So Walked into that, absolutely loved that job, but not the hours. Um, <laughs> gotta sure. be honest. But it taught me a lot of things and I actually used some of those things I learned in the car dealership to improve processes, you know, throughout a couple of other places that I've worked as well in terms of just communication and learning, gathering requirements, those types of things that you do in an IT job. Yep. Incredible. That's just amazing. Uh, first of all, I had no idea. And second of all, that <laughs> you, you have so much more industry knowledge of different industries now than people, like I was saying before, twice and three times your age, which is phenomenal, um, which is great. So currently, right, <clears throat> Northwestern Mutual, um, they reached out to you or did you see this position open and you reached out to them to say, hey, I know the company, why don't I consider this? I was actually a third party uh, contractor. Okay. That, uh, 
called me about the role because he had seen my background as a financial rep, but at the same time, I had the IT experience that they were looking for. Sure. And this is not a highly technical job in the sense that I'm right. not doing any actual coding or like infrastructure framing, anything of like that. Um, and, you know, he thought I'd be good for the role. And that's where it kind of connected, uh, bringing that user experience and learning how to deploy software because of all the deployments I'd done at uh, Tool and bringing that, but you doing more of the user experience and change management sure. aspect. And um, you said that the, your official title is what? I'm a product lifecycle consultant. Man, sounds great. <laughs> sounds, like right. it, sounds like it's so bougie as a position now, um, <laughs> well, you know, which is great. So what does the day-to-day look like for a product lifecycle consultant? At Northwestern. Absolutely. So there's a couple of different um, things that we do. Uh, really, our, our role, our primary role is to ensure that the technology that the company utilizes for, um, you know, our field force, as well as our corporate employees makes sense. It has a, you know, it fits together as a strategy. Mm-hmm. And we're able to deliver productivity benefits through that. Um, So each of our different teams are kind of aligned in different areas. Uh, For example, I handle a lot of the field tech that these people will use. Um, So, uh, you know, their work collaboration tools, um, you know, instant messaging, uh, email, those types of uh, tools, as well as um, video conferencing, uh, actual live meeting conferencing. And then I also work with our contact centers to help them do various uh, kind of self-service technology tools uh, that they use during their day-to-day servicing of our clients as well. Um, So my job is to really look at a product and see how it fits into various workflows and the amount of time it's going to take to help people adjust to the change in that technology. Or if we're adding a new technology, what is that training program? You know, I work with our training department to really help help them customize it for each type of user role and overall, you know, make, making sure that people understand what the benefits are to using what we use. Um, the other thing that we do is also help keep the vendors uh, aware of what our users kind of require overall. Does that make sense? Uh, it makes sense. Uh, <laughs> it's not simple by any means, it's but not. it makes sense. <laughs> sure. So I would say the biggest, you know, kind of the skills that I use on a day to day is I do a lot of meetings. And the reason for my meetings is I, I take what the engineers are working on and I help translate that for the business needs. Um, so I go to right. our business stakeholders, get their, you know, kind of requirements, translate that to the engineers, help the engineers kind of understand what the user impacts are going to be, mm. taking those user impacts you know, notifying the organization basically of who, you know, who needs to be aware. Well, it, okay, if engineering is going to deploy on this date, what is, who else needs to be aware of that? For sure. example, our support centers, if there's a new change in the software, a new process, they need to be aware of that. And they need to be trained mm. on how that, how to support that software change. So making sure all of these things align timeline wise and making it an easy change for our users. That's making cool. it an agreeable change, right? Something that they're right. going to adopt. Right. So that they don't drag their feet and then slow down the entire process or have questions that they shouldn't have at the end. Exactly. Yeah. 
Fantastic. Um, well, it seems like somebody in that position is necessary at all large organizations. So I would assume that there's a lot of interest in similar positions like this one or not really. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because this is, I would say, a newer position at mm. most corporations. Um, I've been in a lot of corporations throughout my career. Sure, I've worked with clients. And I think it's really an advent of the world kind of shifting the way it works. Yeah. Right. Um, you know, in the early 2000s, you heard someone had a telecommuting job. You're like, wow, what is that even like? Nobody right. even knew. Right now, you know, post pandemic, it's like, oh, you don't have a telecommuting job. Sure. You've got to go in every day. Uh, it stinks. Right. People are they've mm -hmm. completely shifted. And with that comes all of those different tools that uh, are shifting. Mm. And it's not easy for someone to just learn a new customer relationship management system or a new you know, collaboration tool. There's also a lot of different corporate policies, especially in the, in the financial services industry, we're so high, highly regulated in terms of marketing material, things you can say, things you can't say. And right. the biggest thing is cybersecurity, right? Making sure that all of the things we are saying back and forth to each other is secure and making sure nobody can get at that data. That's probably one of the biggest, um, you know, kind of focuses of a large corporation is, yeah, it's great we can add all these tools, but let's make sure it's protected and Obviously, you don't want to you don't want anything to happen with your client's sure. data. Sure. Um, so at, I think you're going to see a lot more of these roles start to pop up. Uh, typically, they were done by outside consulting firms like right. McKinsey or right. like PwC, and there's right. a lot of change management consulting that goes into that. I think one of the benefits to having an internal team is they understand you know your company's processes on a much more intimate level. Um, I would say that because I was a field rep, I'm able to add more value than if I just had, you know, more of a programming background to my role. Understood. Um, so given how much detail there is right now in terms of explaining what it is that you do, how do you explain this to like your family when they ask what you're doing or if you meet, <laughs> if you meet new people sure. out in the, you know, wherever, is there a yep. way, is there, is there a simpler way that you try to explain, like, this is my job. My role is product lifecycle consultant. And in 30 seconds, this is what I'm doing. Sure. So what I do is make technology deployment change palatable for our users in a way that gets them to adopt the technology and, you know, adapt to the change. Yeah. Yeah. Once you explained it the first time, it's easier to understand than the shorter version. Yes. But if you, tell, if, you, <laughs> right. if you tell me the shorter version first, I would then have all the questions about, yeah, that sounds great, but what does that mean? But right. now I understand it, which means- You know, and it, and it really gives, um, it's hard to explain what we do even to our own company. There's a lot of people within our own company that, you know, need to understand that because it's, it is a new role. Uh, even change management as like a practice is new, right? Before, you know, I've worked in companies where there was no such thing as change management. There was, this was the policy before, and this is what it is today. Now you have time and companies are aware that when they tell their employees these different types of changes, they need to make them understand and, you know, agree to the change. Then you have wider adoption. You don't have all those pitfalls that come right. when people don't do something, especially when it's a policy or regulatory change. Sure. Um, 
And there's also a lot of benefits. You learn more about your product when you talk to your users, right? One of the things I always try to stress is getting user feedback on any of the changes because then it gives them a feeling that they have a hand building it. Not just a feeling, they actually do have a hand in building what that experience looks like. And when you help, you know, when you include people into the process, it always makes it easier for everyone to, number one, compromise, which is what I spend a lot of my day doing is helping mm. the engineering and the business sides really yeah. understand the compromises that are necessary for the users, right? Sure. Um, and also with the vendors, making sure the vendors are aware that, yeah, that's a great feature. Unfortunately, in our regulatory environment, we just can't use it right now. Um, here's what we would need in order to make that change happen and yeah. working with them to create those uh, conditions. Makes sense. Uh, especially given that all business units inevitably have their own individual focuses and goals, right? Absolutely. And now, you, now you need the two of them to see eye to eye uh, somewhere, meet in the middle somewhere, which makes Absolutely. a lot of sense. So let me ask you this question then, Nav. What is the best part of your current role? And then on the flip side, what is the most challenging aspect of your current position? The best part of my role for me is when uh, our employee force really gives us recognition for a different mm. you know, technology that we've deployed or a change that we've made that's helped them actually increase their productivity or you know, obviously increasing revenue, right? That's sure. always a, a goal right. in every business. But when they say, hey, this was great and it made and this was easy for me to understand, that means I did my job well. That's when I can assign myself an A. Until I get to that point where both conditions are met, I don't give myself an A for my role. Uh-huh. Um, so that's the best part of my job is seeing those impacts, right? Seeing what the change that I put in, you know, how I help lead, make it out the door and it works. The thing that's the hardest part of my job is to just making is making sure that everyone is aware of these changes that are going on. Number right. one, because yep. a large enterprise, when you have, you know, 10, 20, 30,000 employees, that's a lot of people that are, you got to make sure that they're accounted for and also making sure that we are actually providing value. Sure. Right. There's because what one and the the most amount of value for the largest amount of people under the curve, as mm-hmm. Elon so eloquently put it in his in one of his Twitter posts, it's we want to maximize that area for you know we are not going to please everybody. Some mm-hmm. people are going to use technology in a way that suits them, and that's fine. Some of it is customizable, right? And helping them through those changes is another part of my job is we can help customize uh, things for certain field members who need it a certain way, need the technology to function or you know, work in a certain way. Um, but it's really you know, getting to that part and helping bridge those gaps, helping the, them see the overall picture. Okay, this is how I use my technology to be more productive. Yep. Understood, especially given the size of the organization. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. Everything is always compounded, right? When you of have course. More people. Of course, undoubtedly, undoubtedly. So you said that you were re- you were reached out to by a recruiter looking for a consultant position. So yes. Um, given that, is the next potential step as you continue to? progress in this position that you become a full-time employee of the organization? Is there an opportunity for promotion? What does the next step look like given how long you've been doing this job, how well you're potentially doing at it and where you would like to go from here? 
Yeah. Um, you know, for me, obviously, uh, I, it, the next progression would be to be more on a strategy level of helping mm. the business decide like, okay, these are, so being like a product strategy manager would be um, kind of that quote unquote title, right? Uh, and that's where my career is. That's where I'd like to take my career is understanding and helping make those decisions around strategy of the various tools and technologies that we okay. use. Okay, got it. Got it. Um, how is the, I know we talked about this a little bit, or you mentioned this a little bit, given the work-life balance of previous positions. Uh, how mm-hmm. is it at this particular position for you? Oh, it's wonderful. Um, I have no complaints. I'll put it that way. That's excellent. That's excellent. So it's not the case where you're putting in 60, 70 hour work week, trying to get all the people to see eye to eye on stuff. Um, no. Um, you know, and I have worked pl- at places that were those you know, 70, 80 hours where it was, yeah, you're making money, but mm. like you have no time. Yeah. To yeah. It, right. For sure. For sure. Um, and then in terms of your current position now, the last question I would ask is, are there skills that are ones that you're still acquiring or sharpening that would be beneficial to have to help you do better at your current job? Uh, yes, there's uh, um, obviously, you know, the more um, development methodologies I learned of how software is developed, how applications are developed, more of a technical understanding of the infrastructure and back end um, mm-hmm. and how these changes affect them. That's something that I've been, you know, I, I have to learn and have been learning for the last uh, year, even as that's my continuous improvement in this job, as I you know, had said before, um, the continuous improvement is always learning new. And the thing with technology is, it changes every day. If you talk to programmers just because they're a Java programmer, doesn't mean that they don't keep studying. Mm-hmm. There's new ways to write code. There's new ways to build infrastructure. There's always something that you can do a little bit different. Uh, so it's a continuous kind of learning career. Uh, the other skill that I would say comes up most often, and honestly, it's throughout all of my jobs that I've noticed, is the ability to ask questions well. Um, and really the questions that are the right questions at the right time. Um, and that's something that you just have to learn, you know, through practice, getting a mentor, somebody that does it well themselves. You'll see it a lot more in sales. But one thing I've noticed throughout all of these different kind of career paths with finance, IT or sales is the top level producers in each of those uh, positions have always been the best question askers right. I've ever seen. Right. Interesting. So what year did you graduate from Loyola, Matt? So I was delayed in graduation. I did 2015. Okay. So you graduated in 2015 and then your first job was at the currency trading company, right? Well, that was after I graduated. I had a couple of different roles um, in between like 2012 and 2015 where I was going to um, school and working. Okay. Which is fine. So let's say from 2012 until now, it's been, it's been 12, it's been a decade. It's been exactly Mm -hmm. 10 years. As you think back on the journey, who would you say, and you don't have to call them out by name, but who are some of the people that have been most influential that had you not met them along the path, your situation would likely be quite different. Sure. So when I was 22, I used to work for this uh, business conference events company where I sold uh, basically business conferences to 
executives at oil companies and aerospace and defense companies and all sorts of wild yeah. uh, industries like that. Dude, now what, what have, what have you done? And we, we need to have an episode where you just tell me this stuff you haven't done. <laughs> all right, cool. Well, within that role, um, you know, it was really, I, I, there was a sales manager there that taught me a lot about how to ask good questions. Mm. Um, and that's probably been one of the most influential people as far as, you know, from a career aspect goes, just because that's a, that's a, that's something that I've tried to take with me to every single other subsequent position. Yeah. Um, and it's, it, it's much more than, you know, just here's the magic bullet question, like, a you know, some of those sales tips videos you see on Instagram, right. this was much more real in terms of how do you do a consult? How do you be a consultant when yeah. you're actually talking to a client? Right. Um, and then from there, obviously, I'm going to say my parents were huge influences on me uh, just because, you know, being Im- immigrants, I got watched them, you know, achieve the American dream through those struggles coming, sure. you know, living in a dorm room in Michigan State University to, you know, achieving what most would call the American dream now. Yeah. And for me, that's a huge uh, influence uh, booster. And also just the people I surrounded myself with in terms of friends in my life. Um, I always try to say that if I'm the smartest, smartest person in a room, I'm in the wrong room. Mm. And for me, networking and, you know, developing some of those uh, friendships that have lasted, you know, decade plus, those are people I consider influencers as well on my life. Yeah, that's great. That's great. So as you think back on the career since, let's say, 2012, 2015, um, given how diverse of a career you've had and how different it's been compared to some of the careers that we've seen where people graduated with one degree and they've been doing that same job ever since, are there or have there been times where you would have gone back and said, you know what, I should have done this differently? You know, I get asked that question a lot. And I think Mm -hmm. about that question a lot, Um, especially because, as you know, coming from, uh, you know, culturally, the culture background we do, we just don't do that, right? (laughs) Correct. You don't even quit your job unless it's like, oh, my God, I can't take it anymore. Right. And Um, you have to have three lined up. There's no quitting. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So for me, when when I consider that question, uh, yeah, there are a couple of things I probably would have, you know, I would have tried harder, concentrated a little bit harder in school. Um, you know, maybe I didn't really develop my own interest in, interest in kind of learning to learn. I was learning because I thought there was a money aspect at the end when mm. I was younger. Mm. Um, and I think that if I could switch that, that would be amazing. Yeah. But honestly, you know, for me, every experience that I've had, the good, you know, get fired or not getting fired or doing extremely well, being number one, all of those things have kind of led me to where I am now. Mm-hmm. And I'm really, really enjoying what I do now. So I can't necessarily say I would go back and change anything. Sure. Which is great. That's great to hear. Um, and then similarly, do you think there was one pivotal moment in your career that has led you to this trajectory? No, I think, I think, um, you know, it's, it's kind of a, a, it accumulates, right? Mm. There's all these little pivot points where you could turn, let's say, okay, I decided to go to law school two years ago. 
well, then I would never would have found my passion for doing what I do now in terms for of sure. IT and user experience. For sure. Um, would that have been an equally okay life? I guess we'll never know, right? Yeah. And for me, yeah, there are those things, but I think the pivotal moment in terms of just getting serious was when I turned into the pandemic. That was a, right. oh, you know, like a, oh shit, let's go moment. Sure. <laughs> right. For sure. And uh, yeah. And I think that comes with also turning 30 when you slowly realize oh, I hear you. God, I'm 30. <laughs> I hear you. Um, and then before we get to your advice now, the last question is given that you've talked about law school so much, you've done the LSAT studying, you took the exam, you might not be a tier one law school applicant, but I assume there's two, three, four tiers, you know, of schools that are still out there available mm-hmm. to you. Does that still stick in your mind? Is there an opportunity for you, you think down the road that someday you're going to go to law school just to say that you went? You know, I, I, I still consider it. I'll never go away because I do have that passion for mm. politics and um, sure. you know, history and I do love that stuff, but I don't necessarily think I need a law degree in order to pursue those passions. Right. Um, I guess we'll see, you know, <laughs> never say <laughs> never. I'd be an ID, right. Yeah. Yeah. I've transitioned my career so many times. I, I honestly, I couldn't say yes or no either True. way. True. We'll I see, mean, I guess there's nobody who would have, I guess, really said when you graduated with a finance degree that you would be doing what you're currently doing. Right. So it's exactly to, right. It's hard. Right. To this say. job didn't even exist back then. For sure. So who knows? Right. For sure. <laughs> Which is incredible to think. And then uh, last question, I always like to ask my guests, what is the advice that you currently would have for yourself um, as a young, let's say middle school aged child and then what advice do you have sort of for the general public who is considering maybe a change of careers or just con- thinking about overall and reflecting yep. upon what they're doing in their career right now? In both situations, I would say learn how to be a better questioner in your life. And it can help you in all sorts of different ways. Yeah. Um, whether that's, you know, buying a new car or... <laughs> going to, or, you know, getting in life and uh, financial advice, you know, just be having the ability to a- ask relevant questions is one of the biggest things that you can carry with you just throughout your life that will help mm. you in all sorts of different ways. Um, I didn't get my job because of my technical knowledge. I didn't get my job because, you know, I had a fancy degree from Loyola or anything like that. I got my job because I, I learned how to ask good questions that were relevant to what we needed to get accomplished. Uh, sure. And for me, that's what I would tell myself. If I went back, learn how to ask better questions. You're not asking the right questions. Yeah. And I think it would have maybe triggered what I'd love to do now earlier. Which is incredible you say that because I will say now that there was a sales manager that I had uh, probably about a decade ago. And he would always say the same thing is that if you're doing more talking than listening when you're trying to sell something to somebody, you're doing it wrong. Yep. A hundred percent. And, you know, I think those little, you know, another piece of advice I I would give people is go take a sales job. Honestly, like even if you don't have anything to do with sales, the abilities that you will learn in terms of communication and being able to persuade people, because that's something you need in every job, right? You got to persuade someone that my ideas are are good. Here's why we should go with my idea. For sure. Or, you know, our team, whatever that may be. Um, Yeah. And it's really about 
well, you know, obviously here we're talking a lot because it's a podcast formula. It, it really is that key is learning how to say less, but mm. asking questions. And when you can ask the right question that triggers that, oh crap moment yeah your client's eyes whoever might and they realize something that they didn't they should have realized but they didn't realize until you just asked that question that's when you win yeah I would undoubtedly say, in all those undoubtedly i would say that that's a great place for us to wrap now because that's the kind of advice that we're looking for on this awesome. podcast and stuff that we haven't heard from before right we don't have a lot of people who have had similar experiences to yours because your journey is obviously unique. But even then, I think sales gets a bad rep, but you can learn a lot from that. And clearly you have shown that it might not have been where you ended up going, but your pit stops in the sales experiences have led you to where you are and had made you a better employee and likely a better person just in general. So. Well, thank you. And that's if great. I could just say one more thing. By all means, say, please. If you're looking to change your career, Go Google how to do it and you can learn anything that you want to learn. Mm. You know, the old ways of I have to go to college and get an IT degree or a finance degree or whatever, maybe the case, those rules do not apply anymore. Yeah. It's a completely different world where learning is accessible by everyone and it's all available. So if you really want to do it, just get just start slowly doing one thing every day to improve yourself and you know it'll start the snowball effect. Yeah. There's no doubt that if you have internet access at this point thing, I mean, the world is really at your fingertips. Right. right now, <laughs> yeah, which is, absolutely. which is incredible. Um, fantastic. Well, Nav, I very much appreciate it. Um, you and I know how long we've been trying to get you on. So I'm glad we were able to make this episode happen. Um, your journey is tremendous and I hope that all of the listeners will pick something up from it because I know that I learned something and I'm sure that everybody else will as well. So thank you very much. Well, thank you, Shash. And, uh, you know, I appreciate you having me in. Absolutely. Well, um, for all the listeners on behalf of my guest today, Nav Iyengar, on behalf of myself, Shash Watt as always, this was my life be my life be life.